You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. All right, welcome to Politicking Episode 3. It's 420 edition. I'm so excited. As y'all can see, we starting late. Of course, this is the stoner circle because they're late to the circle. (laughs) We were supposed to start at 3, but we got started a little late because of the rain. This is not the day I pictured. I know y'all didn't picture this kind of day. But we're about to have a good time today. I have some awesome people joining me, some friends, family, new friends. And I'm just excited to talk a little bit about, you know, some stuff going on in the city, especially around the legalization of marijuana. Um, but I'm just going to kick it off and say who's joining me today. I got my cousin Zawadi at the table. Peace this is my him. spiritual sister right here. We've been through a lot as she's moved back, and we've getting so much more reacquainted as cousins in, in our adult life. I love it. Um, Ephraim, what's going yeah. on? What's your deal? What's your deal? What's your deal? A lot of Coleman love sitting at the hey, table you know today. Go hey, green. Bro- hey, go white. Root the bros. Root the reds, man. Root the both of us, man. I got Steven Ferrari. <laughs> That's what he's calling you all at cast, man. I love it. Ain't it crazy that we're around the corner now from our... Ain't it crazy? Yeah. But Look where we are now. And last but not least, oh, we do have another guest joining us. But for now, last but not least, my homegirl, Rola. What's going on, baby girl? Hey. I'm loving everything that she's doing, and I can't wait for her to share her philanthropy lifestyle and everything that's going on. It's one of my new coming friends that's joining the politicking circle. So I just want to kick off the conversation and talk a little bit um, about 420 and what 420 is. Because I think some people, you know, they just be like, oh, it's just for stoners. And I mean, like... Essentially, it might be, and I think that that's okay, right? So, 420 is considered an occasion for smoking or celebrating um, smoking marijuana. So, you don't have to necessarily be a smoker to support marijuana or things like that. But I think that we're in a culture change or a culture shift now where more people are starting to understand that marijuana is just more than just people just sitting on the sofa and just being stoned all day. But it's actually medical breakthroughs that's happening because of cannabis and because of things that people are finding out in our community, in our culture, that people don't have to use these hard drugs, but they can actually heal themselves through, you know, different aspects. And it's not always smoking. Cannabis is also ingested through food and, you know, you can take a bath. You know, people don't even know these type of things. Get you a little Thrax bomb, a little bath bomb. (laughs) And so I did think it was fun to just have a fact on how 420 even came about. And so there's claiming, um, and I looked this up on High Times last night on the Internet. They said the most credible story traces 420 to the Marin County of California. In 1971, five students at San Rafael High School would meet at 420 p.m. by the campus statue of chemist Louis Pasture to partake. They chose that specific time because extracurricular activities had usually ended. This group became known as the Waldos because they met at the wall. (laughs) They would say 420 to each other as a code for marijuana. Do y'all think that's interesting? Mm, that's crazy. Like, I had no idea that about high school. <laughs> that, that's what got me. That is a high school. Right, right. Yeah. I thought it was going to be something steeper, but you know what I'm, saying? I'm guessing, hey, if it's, it's just about weed. It's so yeah. simple, right? Yeah. It's so simple. It's but simple. It's, it's all kind of stuff that I had seen for rumors around why 420 even started. But anywho, let's get into the conversation. And so, 
beyond marijuana and everything else, I think that there is a big culture shift going on in the city that people need to talk about. And I, I always try to, you know, think about what does culture mean? What does the arts mean? And it's a lot of that going on in Detroit. And so I just want to know, like, from y'all perspective, especially being in the fields that y'all are in, how do y'all receive the, the culture shift in the city? You know, we're hearing stuff like Detroit is the new black. What does that mean to y'all? And, and do y'all do y'all think that the culture shift that's taking place is positive or negative? I can see it from both sides. So, like, I've traveled, I've traveled internationally pretty much all my life, um, and so like, just talking to different people in different countries and just the way they like, oh, I'm from Detroit, mm-hmm. and the way they like, you see their demeanor change. So in the past, it's been like negative, like, oh shit, like you know, we might not want to. Oh, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I'm cool. All right. Um, we, you know, we might not want to stand a little too close to her. She might shoot us or something like that. Um, then it's like, oh, well, Detroit, ain't, ain't y'all broke? Ain't y'all city? You know what I'm saying? Like, so now the conversation has changed a little bit. Um, just going to different places like, oh, you know, I'm from Detroit. Like, oh, okay. Detroit is a city on the rise. How's it going down there? What's happening? People want to know about what's going on in the city. Mm-hmm. What about y'all? I mean, I think that it's, a, um, as far as what I can feel and, you know, being black, I can't speak for what the new black is. I don't know. I think it's <laughs> all kinds of us. But um, I can say just among uh, my peer group and individuals that I bump into on every day, um, my new black maybe is, you know, you know, black opportunity. Um, after the recession, a lot of us came from Detroit. So we saw everything tear down. And now that we see it's a, you know, it's opportunity to build something in ownership. Like that's really like, you know, the wave that a lot of my friends and family are on. So. I think, you know, just opportunity, black opportunity is like, you know, maybe that's what, you know, it's meant by the new black, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't being that <clears throat> I'm actually not from Detroit, I'm from Atlanta, and I moved here about almost four years ago now. I was like, okay, maybe I should not talk about this. You first. still got your <laughs> perspective. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so right. So, okay, yeah, you're right, you're right. It has felt like a long time. But it's, it's interesting to me. I like the resurgence. I like the... The buzzle and all of the just the newness and the freshness just popping up in every place. I think in a lot of conversations with people that I know from Detroit in professional circles and non-professional circles, a lot of black people feel shut out of the development, shut out of the growth. And that's that's what I hear and see mostly when I talk to people about it. Um, and they go into these places where these new things are popping up in the city. And these are the places that they've been something around for years and years and years. Right. But now it's nobody that looks like them. And to me, it'd be like, well, why would you be in a space that makes you uncomfortable? But the message that I'm getting from from a lot of from black people in Detroit that are from Detroit is is really inspiring because they're like, no, this is still ours. Like nowhere. it's ours. Yeah. Like just because y'all came here doesn't mean it's yours now. So I like that because now it seems like people are going to hopefully try to work together and maybe it'll inspire black people to be more um have more entrepreneurial endeavors and yeah. just kind of like lift themselves in a sense I, I i like that people are being inspired and not feeling shut out completely like they're you know just moving with it you know so i, I like that mm-hmm. yeah and i agree with what you're saying i actually used to be like that like i was gentrification you know black black <laughs> black black but uh i think i was sort of Limiting myself from certain opportunities, um, but when I realized, you know, shoot, we got the same 24 as the next man, um, I think it's a good time right now for like 
we it's a, a a lot of young black professionals right now in Detroit. Yep. And so I think, you know, if, as long as we stay on the same page, utilize, you know, one another's resources, you know, we, we get a lot of that opportunity that is here right now. Mm-hmm. And that's a good shift because, like, one of the things that I'm noticing is the culture that's that's coming within, like, particularly the millennial group. And we had that conversation on the last episode. It's really subtle. Like, this collectivity that's happening, like, people don't really see it, but it's happening. Yeah. And it's happening in, like, silos kind of. But it's so, it's so yeah. exactly, it's so subtle. And I think that. I want to acknowledge that in these type of spaces because I think there are so many areas in culture that that can have a major shift as a collective and like come out of that silo. And I'm thinking about stuff like music, you know what I'm saying? In our Definitely. art, in our storytelling. And I do I know you do a lot of stuff around, you know, reading and literature. You know what I'm saying? So when we start thinking about that and thinking about historically where we were as black people and when we thrived, those were the areas that we were dominating and using our power, you know right. what I'm saying, to kind of speak our narratives. You get what I'm saying? So yeah. I think that it could be so great if we start really like honing in on the arts and our narratives within the city Amen. to kind of present a different world, yeah. you know, for not only ourselves, but for the youth. I think the youth definitely needs to see it um, because we're rich in knowledge and you we, gotta think we lose about that. It. Mm-hmm. The statement Detroit is, is the new black is so powerful because you got to think about it like black in the mm-hmm. sense of that statement. Like that means that the new black like it's popping. Black is popping. Black is powerful. Like black is what's happening. Facts. Detroit is the new black has so much power in that statement. And when we say black, we're not just talking about the color. We're not just talking about the swag. We're talking about the culture. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the people. Mm-hmm. We're talking about us. Mm-hmm. Right. And one thing that I think we really benefit from in that is, you know, when you think about Detroit, you know, being a new black, I think that a lot of it comes, like you say, from our history and our culture. Like, you know, Detroit was one of those places where many people decided to come when they migrated from the South. That's why, you know, a lot of us are one, two steps away from having somebody from, like myself, Arkansas or, you know, Georgia or, you know, Mississippi, wherever the case may be. So it's like it's becoming like a mixing bowl of, you know, black people that came from generations of everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm just trying to get, you know, I'm glad we're talking about this. How do y'all think, like, collectively, you know, we can start to to build up and, like, build up the momentum around this whole idea of us shifting this culture and narrative? Um, I mean, I feel like still, even with all of the comeback, I feel like the comeback doesn't reflect us. The comeback okay. reflects downtown. It reflects, you know, all of these businesses, really the tech industry. You know, when you look at some of these other major booms coming, how do y'all think we can work collectively? I mean, not only as millennials, but just as people who care about the arts and the culture and just like, you know, better in our city in those aspects. What What's y'all thoughts on that? I think. Go ahead. Okay, thanks. I think people should be more unified in how they do it. So I think the unity, like, that you can't see in silos is cool. But I think in order to really create something that uh, is sustainable, in order to really create something that's going to be impactful in the city, people really have to pull everything, not just their support for each other, but their resources, Mm -hmm. you know, their their time, their energy. I think we got to move from the nine to five mentality and be on the same grind once we get out, you know, really put the energy in and then really concentrate in the same space. So when I, I um, teach classes in Liver or in Livernoy, 
And that area is still in development. That area has doesn't seem to be claimed. What by, part of what part of Livermore are you on? So, the entertainment district? Are you so on university? Six, <laughs> probably university. Six, six and Livermore. Seven Mile. Yeah. Where the, uh, Bucharest. Okay, and, that's entertainment district. Okay, so yeah. there's like a whole spread of it. So, well, no, I'm sorry. The fashion. Oh, so yeah, Seven Eighty Quinter was always walk. Avenue of Fashion. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fashion. And district. there's a lot this of is the entertainment okay. district. I apologize. So something <laughs> like that, like pick a space, because I feel like a lot of times what really keeps the mass of support happening to a lot of things is that everything's so spread out. Mm -hmm. Everything is here and here and here and there. Like, bring it all together. Put it all in the same space so anyone who's interested in you can come and be interested in anything else. If if we're all vibing on the same stuff. So to me, I think that's like the unity has to be amplified and we really have to pull the resources and really invest and get on the same page. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to happen naturally. And I say that because like when I think Kenya, when I, when we met, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. you got to think about it. Like, that's exactly <laughs> what ended up happening. So yeah. I feel like we find each other. Like, we going to link up one way or another. Like, we going to find each other. And when we do, we just make it happen and we just put the work in. I feel like our generation that's coming up now, that's taking over, like, we got that work ethic. We got that drive. We want to do it. We want to see it. We got that passion for it. So I feel like it's going to happen. We just got to be believing in ourselves and, like, put faith in, like, okay, trust the process. Mm-hmm. We just got to see it through. Yeah, and we don't really mind working together either. Yeah. I think, like, mm-hmm. generations before us, it, like, as far as black people, we saw success sort of, like, as limited. You know, if I see you eating, that means it's less for me out here to eat. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Not I think our generation sort of got got away from that. We're trying to help, you know, feed each other. Yeah. Um, but I do think that shift is starting to happen right now. Um, I just think ownership. I love that, like, all the rappers, of course, R.I.P. Nipsey Hussle, we got to say that on here. Yes. Um, continues. I, I love that all the rappers are, like, sort of going into that shift into ownership, you know, from content to just they they business moves. Um especially like entertainment just in general, especially while we're talking about the arts and stuff like that. That's something that, you know, historically black people have just dominated. You know what I mean? But we really haven't had enough ownership in that arena Mm -hmm. to really like, you know, have say so. And so we starting to see it happen from title, revolt, even like own network. How crazy is that her Mm -hmm. name where she can call it the own (laughs) network. But uh, I think it, it's going to happen naturally, like you said. Mm-hmm. So real quick, I mean, we're talking about like where we are currently. And again, just to clarify, the Livernois Seven Mile is the, you know, avenue of fashion. We're currently in the entertainment district of Detroit. This area mm-hmm. now has been kind of revitalized. It's on a come up. And even just sitting in this space, you know, I have had my time to, like, hang out in Entertainment District and just be a part. How inclusive is this development for this culture shift that we're speaking about right now? And I want to know, what is the role that politics has to play to reflect that? Hmm. What that makes me think of is, like, when I first heard the Pistons was moving downtown, I wasn't excited mm-hmm. because I know that the money that happens downtown stays in downtown. Mm-hmm. And that's a large revenue coming into the city that um, isn't really helping the major issues that we have in the city. So it really wasn't that exciting. But then that kind of feels a passion of, OK, we got to do something about this. Like we got to fuel it. So just stuff like you using this space to create this platform here is major. Like that's a major component of that is us using these different platforms to push what our agenda is and what we know we need to bring forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also think the schools, like yeah. I think like that's the, the main Somebody place. The bell, please. 
<laughs> I think uh, for the most part, schools, though, I think that um, that's the that's the first place of contact that a lot of our families and a lot of our our children can reach out to. And a lot of where we get our culture from, from, you know, how we talk to each other to, you know, your first um, love for whatever your craft may be. I think it comes in schools. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, raising our voice and our engagement within schools for students and, you know, just parents and families in general, because they all come through DPS. Um I think that's the first stop that we need to make as far as, you know, including ourselves overall in culture because we're including ourselves overall in how we educate ourselves, you know, and our children. So school's got to be one for me. Mm-hmm. How can we do that? Because I was very <laughs> interested in um in being a teacher. This is going kind of going off the side real here. But I was really interested, kind of still am, in being a teacher um, just because I, I, too, really believe that if any change is really going to sustain itself, you have to really engage the youth. The children have to be a part of it. They got to believe in it. They got to buy yeah. into it. And they got to do it. Mm-hmm. So, and it starts in the schools. And I have a whole thing about public school education to a certain degree. But the Detroit public school system in and of itself is overall failing miserably sure. like it's really bad like, i looked at probably just picked a handful of schools and just looked at their reports and it was saddening like i almost yeah. cried looking at how underperforming you know the the state of michigan is like 48th or 49th in the country wow. in like third yeah. grade math and reading because y'all gonna have me go there uh, yeah <laughs> hey look, look, look it's, it's, enjoy- it's like how do you about do it. that with with what it is right now how do you like what's the first step uh. In my head, is programming. Like, we can't be the teachers. We can't do nothing, but we can go in. We can be mentors. We can sit with a kid at lunch. We can read. We can show them it's cool. Like, I wear Tim's, too, but look, I know how to read. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it start with us actually going into the community and doing those things or us sitting at a table and putting the logistics together of how we're going to get those things done and thinking of, okay, what is if I'm a kid, what's my barrier to being able to be successful? All right, so how do we address their barriers? Exactly. And I think school lit. Like, I think I think, you know, where you go to school at says a lot about you, even though I love all the DPS CD through and through. I think that we all have a love for the schools that, you know, relate back to our childhoods. And shoot, I think that we can, you know, do a lot of fundraisers within our communities, just engaged in our schools, because a person that's coming from East Warren has a lot of, you know, love for Finney. I have a lot of love for King. Y'all have a lot of love for Cass and the DPS schools that y'all went to. So I think that a lot of it just takes you know making school more relatable to the you know overall individuals around because you look at a let's say for example a mentor i always talk to my lady like man i want to find that next young producer that you know that metro boom and that's you know in osborne right now that just be tapping on Mm -hmm. you know whatever little producer machine it is because the youth is really what's popping like more than anything else like the older we get we still cool but the youth determine what the wave is so it really takes them being engaged in what school is to actually care and see like okay i'm learning this because it's going to get me to this point and we all want the money, but they just don't see the, the money in it. So it takes, you know, growth and showing someone what it is to, you know, actually excel in what they want to do and how you can make your passion and money in it. And while we're talking about the arts and like culture, a lot of that stuff has been removed from school. I remember going mm-hmm. in and doing a career day and me and one of my old bosses, you know, we was in there talking to the kids and, you know, we like, what do you like to do? And a lot of them love to draw. There is not an art class in that school. Trash. There is not one art class in that school. There's no programming that offers it. But it was literally over half of that class that raised their hand and said they draw. A couple of them had drawing books Mm -hmm. on them. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, how do we tap into? Because I'm one of those people, you know, where I believe that academia is one thing, but it's your passion and your arts and all of that other stuff that comes with your life that kind of helps you learn what it is that you're supposed to be doing in life that defines your purpose. And so, like, with that, it's like, 
the youth don't even, you know, can't even start tapping on them 10,000 hours that they say you need to master craft in life. And it's like when we're thinking about the arts and things like that, those are the things that they enjoy. Those are the things that take them away from all of the nonsense and the crap that they deal with on a daily um, and kind of like allow them to escape that, you know, and be creative. And I think it's so important. Like we're losing our creativity, um, not only within ourselves, but like within our youth spaces. And I just think that that's something that they really need to kind of be able to be successful in life facts and I'm, it boxes us in like mm-hmm. so much I really want to take it there but I'm not going <laughs> to do go ahead please do that's why you're here that's, that'll take up too much time <laughs> but uh but no for real for real and then um have, have y'all ever heard of Detroit Independent Freedom Schools no yeah okay yeah. so like if y'all ever stepped foot in one of them I grew up hooping at St. Gregory over there on Finkel and Dexter that's now a uh or at least in the summertime a freedom school and I mean they're sort of centered. It is African-centered, but as far as the curriculum, it's a culturally relevant curriculum. And, okay. I mean, when you go in and see these kids, and, I mean, they got black teachers, white teachers, whatever, but they so just disciplined and on point, but they so engaged into their own education. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about from kindergarten on up. And, I mean, I think that's something that we need, sort of need to, like, organize around and sort of see if we can, you know, build a model to bring into DPSCD. Mm-hmm. Um, I work with this, like, this national organization called Journey for Justice, but one of the things they did was a hunger strike. I'm not saying we should do that. But uh, <laughs> out in Chicago. And it was really to save, like, Chicago's last performing arts school. It was, like, they DSA. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, not only did it work, they was able to get like it's like 20 some sustainable schools that, you know, they've been pledged to build. So it's called mm. sustainable community schools, but it's going to be focused around having like a culturally relevant curriculum for the black kids in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So if we if we could try to, you know, use that model and do it here, um, that's something I could for sure mm-hmm. see, you know, having some success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a little shift, we got into some dark stuff, you know what I'm saying? But we're here, it's 420, and I mean, we're talking mm-hmm. about all of this stuff that we need. It take money to do the stuff we're talking about. Oh. Let's just be a hundred. <laughs> and we have to figure out what that look like. And so one of the things that I'm always arguing with the older folks about, because I'm all about the intergenerational connection, you know, a lot of older folks are like, dope is bad. I'm like, but dope brings in money and revenue. (laughs) It's a lucrative business. (laughs) And so with that, it's like, I want to know one, how the table feels about the legalization of marijuana recreationally in the state of Michigan. Um, And then I want y'all to talk about some areas that y'all think can benefit. Because when we look across the nation, like certain places, like off of the revenue of marijuana alone, they're able to help with infrastructure in cities and states. They're able to help um, increase, you know, the opportunities within education. I know education is a big loop and that's something that is even being looked at here in uh, Michigan on a regional level um just thinking about what that can do for our schools especially with our low performance schools um and then also accountability to government because I mean we've had a lot of things that come have come into place that they say all right this is supposed to bring in money like the lottery right <laughs> and it's supposed to pay for these things but it's like Never who's do. holding these people accountable for that so you know let's kick this off real quick how do y'all feel about the legalization of marijuana right now in the state of Michigan and do y'all think that that's benefiting us or is it just bringing more barriers to our communities I don't trust it it's a step in the right direction Mm -hmm. I don't trust it I don't trust it and I'm sorry to take it right back to the dark place but (laughs) I I don't trust it I just don't believe it's not too many things that the government has done that in our communities that are 
actually good for us, actually. And right. the, on, on the front end, it looks good. But on the inside, all of the stipulations, all of the, the policy that goes behind it is just, I just don't mm-hmm. trust it. And especially when you're talking about medicinal, using it for medicinal reasons, mm-hmm. I just don't feel like anything that the government is going to standardize and mass produce now is just going to be good for your body. Right. Mm-hmm. Now we're thinking about the people that are still sitting in prisons and jail because of marijuana. Right. Well, see, that, like that was what was supposed to be the part in the... Um, and what we voted on is that they were going to reopen these cases. And so that was the biggest part for me. And so when I went to the, uh, I, me and my mom would always go to vote. And so when we went to go vote, I made her vote for it just because of that. Cause like I got, um, caught into something leaving a dispensary last year and they pretty much did a sting up. Like wow. it was like prostitution. Whoa. Wayne County took yeah. my car. I had to pay them $900. What? They didn't release my paperwork to the third day. So I had to pay $300 to the impound. I had to pay. I bought my car back for $1,200. You know what I'm saying? We bought that car for like $2,800. So, you know what I'm saying? So that was like a whole thing. So I'm like, if these laws was in place, I was telling my mom, I'm like, we would, I wouldn't have never had to deal with that like type of stuff. Mm -hmm. So you got to think about it. Like it's white kids that, you know what I'm saying? Be high off their ass by the time they 13, 12, 14 years old living their life through don't have no problems with this but it's people that look like us that are getting attacked so for me it's more so like just opening that door to okay leave that little black boy alone yeah he got some weed but guess what it's legal like you can't pick on somebody because of it's that technically okay. decriminalized through our new, yeah. through our laws now with uh with marijuana um technically right? and i don't agree with everything <laughs> but it like i said it's just it's a step in the right direction towards yeah. different things happening but it just depends on how you look at it. And we have to understand, too, that when policies and laws come into place, we have to still continue to hold people accountable. I think I talked about this on episode one and in the end of last season. It's just like there's a political process that is, you know, so a lot of us, we get educated, we go vote, but we don't hold them accountable yeah. after we go vote. And that part is so important. Yeah. And I just want people to keep thinking about that. And I keep reiterating that every every talk because it's like, all right, now we got this law, you know, that's saying you're decriminalizing this, you know, you're legalizing this recreationally. But what does that mean for communities in which people are being targeted and things like that? Y'all got something? I think the biggest thing, I think sometimes we get um, enthused um, as a community. Oh, yeah, we legal now and uh, like we said there's still people sitting in jail for like a, a pound of weed mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever sorry or, y'all quest mccody is in the building <laughs> um, uh, oh yeah i got my cart took over like two grams twenty dollars twelve hundred dollars later continue but yeah um that and then we should be able to thrive in our own communities with this and that's the biggest thing every <clears throat> Every community has like a representation of of something in their community. Right. And in our community, um, we don't have the stores. We don't have the places that feed us food. And <clears throat> if you look back and you go back to the days when we was illegal, you had the spot or you had whoever the weed man was. Uncle Pete. So now the, the, the person that has the most experience with supplying his own neighborhood with with product and can thrive off of the product and bring money back into his neighborhood mm. is essentially like just marginalized or just I don't I don't yeah. believe so because it's a sales tax and my weed man don't got no sales tax. 
<laughs> so I feel like that kind of, in a sense, does empower the independent, you know what I'm saying, entrepreneur. I see, no, but I see where he's going, though, because yeah, to your point, on me. yeah, unless you've yeah. got the $500,000 to put up for the liability insurance and everything else, Ownership, you can't capital. take that first step to be legit and proper about yeah. it. No. So it's hey, like, I, I mean, it could be, um, it's, it's all type of grants that I just... I just believe when it comes down to that with the obstacles um, that it, that's there, it's great that people aren't being punished in that regard. It's great that we're taking a focus off of something that shouldn't have been a focus in the first place, but mm-hmm. we still got to, like you said, be accountable for there are a lot of people that are free with weed charges on their resume where they go and they fill out an application and they may not get a job based mm-hmm. on a two grams of weed. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, and on the flip side, with until they get federal and state going together, it's mm-hmm. always going to be because why would why is a dispensary getting raided? Mm-hmm. Prostitution, of course. <laughs> right, no. like it's a, it was a whole thing. Guy, the the officer that flicked me was not the one who seen me coming out because she hit a Yui. Mm-hmm. You wasn't even there. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Anybody? My, my biggest thing is um the neighborhood, like. I grew up on East Side. Um, I used to go to uh, Beckham Academy, and on the way you drive down Dickerson. Well, you walk down Dickerson. What I used to do, and it used to be the Franklin branch of you know the um, the library. Mm-hmm. So now when you walk up, now it's like it used to be a liquor store there, and of course, just like the liquor store, you know, used to be open all the time. Now it's a dispensary that's right across from the library. That's open more than the library because the library be open Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. That's crazy. We ain't gonna talk about Man, that. Man, for four hours, you know. <laughs> but then at the same time, you know, it's always bunking across the street at the dispensary. And my biggest issue <clears throat> is not about the availability of weed because weed has always been available. Mm-hmm. It's more so about, bro, just like these individuals at these stores be allowing these kids to buy Rellos and you know buy you know a little them little Bottom. shots, you know, like who's who. We know that it's going to happen more once one of these little homies, one of these little girls get cool, you know, with one of the individuals that's running the dispensary to where you 16, 17, blowed out your mind, don't even, you know what I'm saying, know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And you just got availability to a whole dispensary that you didn't got cool in. Yeah, but it's, the regulation easier for, it's easier for a kid to get a bottle of liquor than some weed from a dispensary right now. Um, like, now. Now. Yeah, right yeah. now. I mean. Yeah, like I, the like, no with the they dispensaries, the the, the rules are so crazy <laughs> and they're so intense with them. Like, it's gonna be a scapegoat everywhere. It's gonna be something everywhere. But I mean, I I know I know the way the dispensary set up. A kid can't even get in. At least at this point, I know right at now. one point mm-hmm. when it first hit Michigan or Detroit. It was easier. It was Dang, way easier to hit lobby without a car. But eventually, <laughs> with all there. of these regulations that have come, okay. and with now the state being involved, it has gotten more strict mm-hmm. and very more. You know, it's way harder. Like even if you close, if you close the expiration, they like, hey, you about to expire in a couple of days. <laughs> like you need to get it together. Mm-hmm. So it is getting more strict as far as like what it looks like on the flip side. But it just seems like we got a lot of work to do in this arena. There are okay. some pros, there are cons to this, but we just have to be cognizant of what it means for our communities and how we're presented it when we're thinking about the youth because I be in schools and these kids do be high. 
But I mean that again, that stems from sometimes the home and we can't put that on the culture of what's going on around us either. You know what I'm saying? So it's yeah. so many layers to a lot that we're dealing with. But I just wanted to kind of start peeling back some understandings of what could possibly be and how we could benefit in a lot of these arenas. Yeah. I think your two biggest issues I think are something that he said and something that you said. One as long as federal and state aren't aligned, you're going to have issues. It's mm-hmm. still mm-hmm. a Schedule federal. One controlled substance. Yep. So yeah, I'm like yeah. I've, we had a guest on our show that was a he's a former Secret Service agent that's now like his whole essence. He's built an entire career on building security mm-hmm. for dispensaries now because it's just a whole different mm-hmm. world. And mm-hmm. one of the things they have to deal with is what happens when the DEA shows up. Mm-hmm. What happened? You know can't deposit the money in banks, yep. where are you going to put it? Yep. Um, and the other thing is accountability because, yep. okay, great. Michigan as a whole passed it and said, yes, it should be legalized. Recreational use is fine. Oh. Every time, every other day, there's another city going, now nah, we're opting out. Mm-hmm. Now nah, we're opting out. Well, but the people that voted in your your city said yes. Mm-hmm. And how? why is that city council saying no now? Yeah. You know, whether it's Royal Oak, Clinch, I mean, just all over the place. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just tried to get a, um, I have a friend that does a, a paint class, is weed friendly, and they were looking for a space in Ferndale. And when she went in for occupancy or whatever and said, yeah, well, you know, it's a we friendly paint class. We don't sell stuff or whatever. It's just friendly as a social club. They're like, ah, no, nah. mm-hmm. we're not. We're I like not, that phrase. We're not friendly. doing that here. Yeah. It's just depending on so, where you are. It's kind of like every, everybody picks their <laughs> rules. We're boundaries. We have these lines that you can't cross here and there. And yeah. It's a lot of work we got to do, but I do appreciate the conversation. And now we have my favorite part of the dialogue, which I allow my panelists to tell people who they are, because like I say on every show, I don't mess with regular people. <laughs> Everybody around me, I feel like is doing awesome things, great things within their communities and their circles and their networks. And so I just want to give y'all a quick um, moments to kind of tell people what you're doing. If you got any events or something like that coming up or a program or something you need donated to, please let the audience know. We're going to kick it off with you, Cuzzo. <laughs> okay, what's up? So I'm Zawadi. Um, I'm into a lot of stuff, but but my focus is definitely uh, culture, African culture, traditional African culture in the African black communities across the diaspora. So um, I teach traditional West African dance classes with Te Mate African Dance Company. We teach on uh, Six Mile Illinois at SOS Detroit, SOS Fitness Detroit, um, every Wednesday. And then I also am certified as an ASA teacher, which is an Afrobeat dance fitness uh, program. The only Ooh. one in Detroit. Ooh. The only certified one in Detroit. <laughs> That's how I live. I'm going to have to. It's, it's dope. It's, it's not a joke. It's like, you know, the only thing people like to compare it to because there's only one other dance dance fitness for Zumba but it's like Zumba on crack like oh, yeah. like you you drenched in sweat I'm just the time y'all, warm up is over. I went to my cousin's beginner class I walked in walked out I said this is not a beginner <laughs> class I don't know what you think this is yeah. I need a one two one two <laughs> so that's that's and that's the next step just trying to figure out how to bring it to people who may be a little bit uncomfortable mm-hmm. in the beginning mm-hmm. and get people involved so I was actually at one of my favorite restaurants Cola Lounge restaurant and lounge up in Farmington and there was a woman teaching like she created like a hustle with Afrobeat and I thought that was super dope because it's like y'all do hustles up here it's like the hustle capital look like to me yeah. and then you just infuse that with the Afrobeat Afro style I really like that because that was that seemed like a way to introduce tradition and African culture you know to people who probably wouldn't really be into it maybe or would have maybe been a little intimidated so so that's what I do and um 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Come see. E, let them know who you is. What you do. Okay. What's the word? What's the word? My name is Ephraim Clark. Um, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Elite Urban Innovations Group. Um, it's a nonprofit that raises awareness about toxic stress in urban and impoverished communities for black male youth. Um, currently, we're uh, stationed at Michigan State with a good uh, 20 guys up there that do different programming to make individuals aware of, you know, toxic stress and the impacts it has um, on your overall lifestyle. We're currently um, doing work in uh, King and Frederick Douglass, uh, getting some guys uh, graduated in the, and in the school, not just saying that school is the option, but just to see something different. Um, it's a startup, but as we continue to grow, um, we'll have more. I know that we're starting our um, our basketball camp this summer which would be more like, you know, teaching young guys, you know, how to shoot this shot, you know, not just, you know, as far as basketball, but, you know, in real life um, and just using basketball as a personification for how, you know, you should handle your life. Um, and we're going to also make it into like a school drive slash, you know, hygiene um, ordeal, you know, where they get deodorant and, you know, fresh Hanes T-shirts or whatever the case <laughs> may be, you know, just so they feel fresh. They might not have everything, but, you know, they feel fresh enough to go to school. So. Yeah, be on the lookout. We have a lot of things coming out. Thank you, Miss Kenya. You know, that's one of our board members. You know, our Hello. director of um, women's supports and advocacy. You know, so, yeah. Blessings. Mm-hmm. Right. What's up? Uh, I am Quest, Quest McCody. I am a rapper from Detroit, battle rapper, rapper, rapper. Battles, uh, do movies. Um, I do a whole lot of stuff. Um, I'm a producer, I'm an engineer, I'm working on this great project right now. I can't really talk about it, but okay. <laughs> um, I, I work with Silent Riot Recording Studios. I'm a sound engineer there. Um, I run a company called BBG Media, uh, which also has a nonprofit building Bridges to Greatness. Um, we help out in community outreach, um, which is helping out mentoring um, people using hip-hop to help um, impoverished people by just healing the common things that go on in the neighborhoods. Um, we just opened a culture shop in my old hood, um, Seven Mile and Archdale near Strictly Sportswear, uh, 1760 West Seven Mile, uh, Stash House Culture Shop. Today is like a soft opening. We just painted and it looked like it's not abandoned anymore. <laughs> bless you, bless you. <laughs> so, and we put some st- furniture in there, so we told some people to pull up. So if you're out and about, again, 17630 West 7 Mile Road, there's a bunch of people right now. They're doing 420 stuff. Uh, <laughs> 420 stuff. Activity. Yeah, you know, like just activity. Spades, you know, Uno, <laughs> you know, back at it, day. Scrabble. Um, and I got an album. It's on iTunes. It's called yeah. The Gospel. It's mm-hmm. a very, very, very good album. Um, and that's about it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm Stephen Farrar, uh, founder, CEO of Lincoln Literature, which is a uh, writing platform slash community organization geared towards uh, improving literacy rates uh, mm-hmm. in the inner cities. Um, we got a writing platform. We have right now, I think we've reached over. I believe we just made it over 12,000 people in 110 countries. Um, been, you know, been around since 2014. Uh, also, while we're talking about education, um, one of the big things we're fighting right now with some other organizations is, uh, I don't know if you know, back in 2016, the state Supreme Court ruled that mm-hmm. children in Detroit. Well, that's something else, too, but that goes well with this, but uh, that children in Detroit don't have the the right to access literacy. Oh, yeah. Um, but then, speaking on what you're talking about, next school year, it's this third grade reading statute that's set to go into uh, into effect that basically says they're going to hold 
third graders back that don't score well in reading. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, you know, hey, how can you say we don't we're not obligated or accountable to give these kids access to literacy, but we'll hold them back based on their reading scores. Um, right now, I'm working with uh, the actual actually the lead attorney on the case, dude, named Mark Rosenbaum, um, sort of organizing the community around it through this online campaign called hashtag we choose literacy. Um, so got some big stuff coming with that. So look out for that on your timelines. Um, uh, Oh, and we got this, uh, it's going to be called the billionaire book club. I don't know. You know, Chanel Adams, anybody know Chanel with progressionista. Um, she has this, uh, young girls mentoring book club Mm -hmm. here in Detroit. And um, I'm actually about to take on and do an arm of that, uh, Called the Billionaire Book Club for Young Men. Um, mm-hmm. and we're going to base it out of Cast Tech with Mike and Drew, Mike and Drew Sports, okay. um, doing an entrepreneurship Shout program. out to my dogs, Shout Mike and Drew. Dogs. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that's that's what we got popping. That's what's up. Yeah, I know we're done with the discussion, but what you just said made me think like, so, and I don't know, we might not have time to answer, get to the answer to the question, but do you all think we doing these kids more of an injustice by passing them along knowing that they can't read? Or by holding them back because they can't read. Because we know that they already, they build prisons based on test scores of third graders. Oh, and I'm a a whole person who is a social justice advocate and is around, like, trying to find alternatives to mass incarceration and jails and prisons and things like that. But you're so right, because those beds that's been built in this new upcoming Wayne County Jail, there are so many hundreds of beds that are being built for youth right now. And so we can't, we don't have the time to answer that question, but yeah. it's a question that we need to be thinking about for sure. As a community. So, I'm Rolla Emanuel. Um, my real job, I work at the Girl Scouts Heart of Michigan. Um, I'm the outreach coordinator for Ann Arbor, Ypsilanti, and Livingston County. And um, pretty much what we do is we meet girls where they are and give them the opportunity to do Girl Scout programs. I personally, as a woman of cover, color, focus on trying to, you know, get more girls of color hey. involved because I got to think about it. The areas that I serve, I'm not in the urban community, but there's still black girls out there. Like, and these girls ain't getting reached by the inner city programs. Um, so I go out to community centers. Um, I work with the probation departments. We do it as like a rehabilitation. Um, I work at the women's prison. We do a program with the moms and the daughters, and I love it so much because these prisoners hold this program so dear to their hearts that they will not do anything to jeopardize their participation in this program. Um, so that's something I wish that we could replicate on other levels and other scales. So um, when y'all see me as a warden of a prison one day, just know I'm doing good things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in my free time I'm an activist for people of color to you know boss our lives up to see each other to empower each other um, the biggest thing is that we don't our representation so just being able to see each other do what we do and be able to network and know that we have a network full of people like I know I'll be able to reach out to anybody else in this room like look this is what I'm doing this is what I'm trying to put together let's uh, come together and use our resources yeah. um, in 2020 look out I'm going to be doing um guided tours in west africa the gambia that's where my family is from um it's one of the most beautiful places i've ever been on this earth like i've been to jamaica and i'm telling y'all the gambia y'all need to go y'all need to see it so look out 2020 we gonna be getting those um going that way we can get people because i know people want to go back home but they don't know what to do they don't know where to go they don't they don't really speak the language and so that's um that's my lane and my avenue of what i want to do to connect those worlds um I dabble in youth development. I've been doing it since I've been 16. So I get involved with different nonprofits and organizations. I'm still waiting to get something going with kinship. I'm trying to see what we can, what we can get going. But yeah, that's me. 
But I just want to thank everybody for joining me today on 420 edition. We talked about a lot around culture, hey. activism, education, the youth, the community, and the culture. I mean, just thinking about Detroit being this new black and what that means to us. I want everybody that's watching to continue to tune in. Give us some feedback. Tell us how you feel. You can follow all of these on Politiken. Politiken is P-O-L-I-T-I-C-K-E-N. Hey. Keep on following the conversation. I'm going to tag everybody once we get off the show so y'all can continue to follow these great people and what they're doing. But thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And I see y'all on episode four. And that one's going to be That's Law. (laughs) (laughs) Episode four. (laughs) We out. I love it.